Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Details, should we be fighting to save the country's only oil refinery? It's finally hit home that this is it, this, the show's over. Workers at the Marsden Point oil refinery are bracing for substantial job losses over the next 18 months. The company posted a full year loss of nearly $200 million. The company plans to turn it into an import-only terminal. A change from refinery to import terminal involves little change for New Zealanders. Officials have raised questions about security of supplies. If the international deliveries were cut for any reason, we would have just a few weeks of fuel at normal consumption rates. Shareholders will vote today on a proposal to shut the refinery, slashing hundreds of jobs. That will bring nearly 60 years of making petrol, diesel and jet gas in New Zealand to an end. It's a stunning spot. There's, in the backdrop of the refinery, the, the Whangarei Heads and Mount Manaya, and, and that's a pretty incredible backdrop. RNZ's Nita Blake-Person is based in Whangarei and has been covering the closure plans. And then in front of it, there's this pristine white sand beach, and you're heading up State Highway 1, and just after Ruakaka or around there, you, you head out to the coast and you go through green farmland and things like that to this incredible spot where the refinery sits at the, the opening to the Whangarei Harbour. Why was it set up there? I understand it was the deep water harbour. It's a, a low earthquake risk there and there was land available. But when you think about it now, it's by its very nature a pretty dirty business um, converting crude oil into other products. And to have it in this incredible location, it's hard to think that that would happen if it was to, to be done again these days. It's really beautiful. There's the port, there's all these logs outside, you know, waiting to be exported. And then the actual refinery itself. I remember thinking at the time, or some of it, a cross between the fearful at Rainbow's End, you know, that big tall tower, and the Pompidou Centre in Paris. And this is Nikki Mando, Newsroom's business editor. She did a Two Cents Worth podcast about Marston Point early last year. It's quite colourful. There are bits that are red and green and white and, yeah, it's sort of modern, industrial, cool, I suppose. What exactly does an oil refinery do? So the initial oil refinery that they built probably a decade before Think Big, basically it was a little facility and you boil up crude oil. So crude oil is what you dig out of the ground and it's a sort of thin brown treacle and you boil it up and the vapours come off and you collect diesel and petrol basically from bubbling up the crude oil. And that's the refinery bit? That's the refinery bit. So that was the bog standard little refinery that we had before Think Big. And then Think Big came along, and that was Muldoon, our Prime Minister Robert Muldoon, in the sort of 70s and 80s. And he, the oil price was really, really high, and he was worried about growth in the New Zealand economy and unemployment was going up. And he thought, excellent, we'll take the resources we have and make ourselves more oil self-sufficient. A great part of it is going to come from these much maligned Think Big projects, which are going to earn us overseas funds that will back economic activity. So all the Think Big projects were either replacing oil or using oil, and Marsden Point was, the expansion of Marsden Point was one of them. And one of the things that the expansion did was when you bubbled up the crude 
um, you were left with a sort of sludgy bed at the bottom and the old oil refinery couldn't do anything with that. So this allowed them to do a lot more than they could do with the old refinery. They also allowed them to make sulphur as a byproduct, which they could then sell into for fertilizers. They built a lot more storage tanks. They built a hydrogen plant and they built this amazing pipeline which took the product from the refinery at Marsden Point Um, the 170 kilometres into Auckland. This is the famous pipeline that was ruptured. After a digger-lifting swamp Cody sliced through a pipeline at the Marsden Point refinery. (laughs) Sounds remarkable. And it shows you how crucial it is, because when it was ruptured, planes couldn't take off. We've got an aviation fuel crisis at our country's biggest airport. Flights out of Auckland are likely to be disrupted for several more days. Because they were making jet fuel. Boats couldn't go out because they were making boat fuel and, you know, people stopped being able to buy petrol. They were queues at the pumps. It is a really crucial facility. What was the argument, though, for having a refinery in the first place? Because we actually do import petrol and diesel anyway. This is not, this is not the sole supplier of our petrol and diesel. And the irony is that the, the crude that we make is not suitable to be refined at Marsden Point. The crude so, that we produce, what, in Taranaki? Yes, other... we, we, we have to export that to be refined and we import virtually all the crude that is refined at Marsden Point. And that's one of the big problems, that it's, it's sort of out of sync between what we make and what we need. One of the interesting things that I didn't know until I visited was that the petrol that we put into our cars is sort of different depending on, for example, the season or where you are in the country. If you're in Invercargill in winter, you need a different sort of petrol or diesel for your car than if you're in Auckland in the summer or even in Invercargill in the summer. So one of the good things about having a refinery is that you can make the petrol that you want or the fuel that you want and need. Taylor make it for different regions, different Yeah, customers. for New Zealand. You made a podcast for two cents worth on it. And what was interesting was that there was a lot of um, optimism about the refinery at the time. I mean, you spoke to Paul Zeeland, who was the... The MD of New Zealand Refining, which is the parent company of, of, of Marsden Point. And yeah, he was, he was, this was only, as I say, in early 2020. And he was still pretty optimistic about the plant. This has laid the foundation for a, a highly valuable piece of asset which is providing 1100 jobs into Northland it's more than seven percent of the Northland's economy and it gives New Zealand a a security of supply which um, is important in in a turbulent times I mean you you can imagine how many oil shocks and supply shocks and all sorts of things have happened over that period of time and having a refinery is just an additional extra leg of security into that uh, challenge. He was talking about it's been going for 40 years. We're looking then at how do we take ourselves forward for the next 30 or 40 years, producing the fuels of the future. But it was really reliant on the government supporting it, I think, and they were in negotiations with the government, and I suspect that went nowhere. Government supporting it as in subsidies? Well, it was like TY Point or... Exactly. I mean, TY Point and Marsden Point are really, really similar. They were both think big expansion projects and they both really reliant on electricity and the price of electricity and government wanting it there. One of the big reasons for both of those projects is local jobs. When you went up there to make that podcast and to do those interviews, by then 
you know, actually the previous year, the company had posted the 2019 year was a tiny profit, three million or something, two million profit. But the 2020 year, they posted a $200 million loss. Loss. Okay. So and that was. They would the, have known what was going on. Right. And so, but that announcement was after you was, had been up there. Yes. Okay. So they knew what was going on, but they were trying to still paint a rosy, hopeful picture. Well, I think that they. Also, it could have worked out, you know, if the government had come on board and they had these plans, they wanted to build the biggest solar farm in the country and then they were going to use this green energy to run the plant and that was going to bring their electricity costs down. And then they were going to use also this green electricity to make hydrogen, green hydrogen, Mm -hmm. and then eventually, if it all went well, they could sell this green hydrogen into fuel cell cars and stuff like that. So there were possibilities. But then along came Naomi James, an Australian, as the new chief executive. So Naomi James came to New Zealand in May, the same year, 2020. And I spoke to her from quarantine. And I think even then, she was still looking at four different options. So she put them on hold as soon as she arrived, you know, things like the solar and the hydrogen. And she talked about talking to government. And I think if it had gone another way with talks and you had Shane Jones and all that sort of thing, maybe it could have been different. Mm. But certainly, if you just look at the numbers, I think she had no choice but to close everything except the, the storage facilities and the pipeline and you know the import facilities. So we do acknowledge that, that there would likely be an impact on, on jobs with a transition to an import terminal because it would be a smaller smaller operation. I started reporting on it after it had been signalled that there was going to be a shareholder vote, which basically will signal whether or not it will become an import-only terminal and that workforce will shrink massively. They will need way less people of the 300 employees, and that's not everyone else. The actual employees will drop down to about 60 just to keep things ticking over, potentially some of those people involved with cleanup and stuff like that. So that vote had already been signalled, and I just wanted to check in. I hadn't heard from many of the people who were affected by this. So there's going to be a vote today. What is that vote that vote is a shareholder vote uh, by Refining NZ shareholders. A lot of those are oil and gas companies, the Z Energy and BP and people like that. And Z Energy and BP have already signalled that they support Refining NZ moving to an import-only model. And that is the crux of this vote. Do Refining NZ's shareholders think that it's the right thing to do to stop processing crude oil here to turn it into all these different products, your gases, your petrols, your diesels and things like that, and just have that that product come into New Zealand already processed, it will be held at Marsden Point and then shipped off to the rest of the country. A change from refinery to import terminal involves little change for New Zealanders, but a big change for our operations and our workforce here at Marsden Point. They have been struggling with really tight refining margins for a couple of years now. It's not a particularly lucrative business and doing it in New Zealand there are higher electricity costs there are higher environmental standards and 
it is cheaper to get this product overseas. Uh, it was all compounded by COVID last year, as so many business decisions were. Planes stopped flying, cars were taken off the road for a period there. There was a big dip in demand for a lot of the products that they make. So that's made things even harder. And basically, it's just got to the critical point where they're saying it's not worth it for us anymore. A transition to an import terminal would allow the business to be sustainably uh, profitable uh, through the cycle. So you got to talk to some people like what the workers and people in the community... Yeah, and those people also felt that they hadn't had much of a chance to get their stories out there and that they were looking down the barrel of huge unemployment issues and very few other options. Absolutely devastated. Now it's finally come home to roost. Some people might have been holding on to a little bit of hope, um, but you know it's finally hit home that this is it, this, the show's over, it, it's coming fast and yeah, the mood's not great. These jobs here pay a lot better than a lot of others that are on offer in Northland. I was speaking to a, a worker the other day who estimated, I mean, a lot of those jobs are on more than 100k. Uh, some of that is for weekend and overnight and their long shifts and things like that. But there aren't a heck of a lot of other jobs like that going in Northland. And so these guys are, are now looking down the barrel of unemployment. They don't know, um, you know, if there are other jobs like that in the rest of New Zealand, let alone Northland. Because of generations, my grandfather used to work there, you know, and I've had aunties and uncles, cousins and mates have gone through there. So I'd say have a massive impact for sure, yeah. They're unsure what their current employment situation is going to be like. They're looking for other jobs and things like that. So some have started to find work elsewhere. From the core workforce that I belong to that actually keeps the refinery running, we're, we're looking at probably an average of a, a resignation every three weeks. That's putting pressure on the remaining workers, and it's not easy to bring in people overnight to fill those jobs. So the workforce is actually shrinking, but the forecast closed down isn't until early next year, mid-next year. They have to keep going until then. There's been kind of ideas floated around that, that maybe the port could have been uh, used to help store biofuels help manufacture hydrogen as a fuel. There was talk of some of the, the land adjacent to the refinery being used as a solar farm, a dry dock at the nearby Northport. That would have created some jobs. But as time ticks on and we get closer and closer to this possible close of the refinery, there actually hasn't been any concrete decisions about what will happen to it and what will happen to all those employees. And what's the government saying about all of this? They've been quite hands-off, I think it would be fair to say. They uh, have said that this is a private business decision. It's not for me to interfere in some of the shareholder engagement that's to come. But that they are interested in helping come up with solutions which would uh, save jobs and be beneficial for the wider Northland economy. We have, as government, been actively engaged in talks as we look into some of the alternative uh, fuel sources and uses in New Zealand. Again, what that actually looks like, we haven't seen. The proposal needs 75% majority vote from shareholders, with the final decision to be made by company directors in September. But the head of sustainability NZ, Simon Terry, says it's not too late for a rethink and that shutting it down is just too risky for the country. If Marston Point closes down, then the refinery site will act as just a terminal for refined product to come in. And at that point, we would be entirely dependent on overseas supply. And 
we don't have a lot of fuel that's stored in the country. Uh, we have maybe 10 to 20 days reserves at any one time. If the international deliveries were cut for any reason, we would have just a few weeks of fuel at normal consumption rates to avert you know, a kind of service de- deprivation that most New Zealanders would find pretty unimaginable. So it's all about the buffer to keep us going in an emergency. In other words, it's our insurance policy. Although we import virtually all our crude oil to be refined, what we do produce would be enough to keep only essential services in operation indefinitely. It's about 20% of demand. At the point that food distribution is threatened, you've got real problems with basic issues such as human welfare and social order. And what are the chances that there would be a disruption to the shipping? The risk is not just about an outbreak of hostilities that blocks shipping lanes. Um, It's the extreme vulnerability New Zealand would face if a foreign agent were to exercise strategic power in a bid to gain something New Zealand would not otherwise offer. Can you explain that to me? What would that be? It could be anything. I mean, if some power wanted to obtain something from New Zealand and was looking for a point of vulnerability, this would be a key one. And that agent only needs to frighten insurers enough to deter oil tankers from travelling to New Zealand um, to have the nation over a barrel. A particular country. I mean, how much of a threat is this? I'm not a specialist in that kind of geopolitics, but uh, a number of commentators have warned that geopolitical tensions are rising. It's something that's been noted pretty widely. So the risk ultimately is one you you might look at better in insurance terms and say, you know, is it worth New Zealand paying a little more to keep the refinery open in order to ensure that that security of supply remains for at least essential services? So in March n- next year, if this goes ahead... What will start happening? Can you describe the sort of um, transition process? New Zealand already brings refined products from overseas directly to the country. So it's not very different from just having more of those tankers with refined product instead of the tankers that have crude oil. Uh, Much the same will occur except the coastal tanker fleet won't be taking it around the country so much there'll be direct deliveries to other ports in New Zealand. What would you want to happen? I think the best way to think about this is as an insurance issue. You know, all going well, New Zealand could still get all the fuel it needs from overseas without the refinery. But if the unexpected happens and the supply lines are blocked for any extended period, the costs of that, you know, get very large once the stocks run out. So, you know, if you say, okay, in order to guard against that possibility, let's take out some insurance and keep the refinery going so we can at least get 20% of the country's fuel needs met, whatever. And if the price of that is something like a centilitre on fuel sales, then that seems a pretty reasonable insurance cost. It um, could actually be quite a bit less, but it all depends on how the insurance arrangement is uh, constructed. So have you actually done the costings on this? What's a reasonable level of payment for the refinery depends a lot on the things like Um, the time period it covers, whether it's a fixed level of payment or if it's effectively an underwrite of the refinery's profitability and that sort of thing. There's a lot of ways that a deal could be constructed and each would have different numbers. I've said that about one centilitre on fuel sales would be enough to give the refinery an acceptable rate of return. And I've used that figure for ease of communication, you know, to give people an idea of the ballpark we're talking about. It could 
be much less if the deal was just for quite a number of years and was for a fixed amount. But if it was just for a few years if, or if it was an underwrite, then you know, that could be um, pushing the costs up a bit. But interestingly, you know, following publication of an article I wrote for Newsroom, the refining company has been telling journalists that, quote, your suggestions for the future of the refinery are not considered viable options for the business. In other words, they're saying, you know, one centiliter would not be enough to make the business viable. Now, that's rather surprising as an unqualified statement uh, when their own financial advisors, Grant Samuels, says that over the next 15 years, the refinery would most likely um, be quite profitable without any top-up payment. That does depend on the forecasts on what the refinery gets paid, turning out to be right, and there are risks there. But the independent advisors basically think there's a perfectly good business there over the next 15 years, and they've actually forecast it'll provide slightly better returns than the import-only terminal. Mm. It, it really just is the next couple of years that the company expects to be tight. One cents a litre translates to what? In dollars? Yeah. That does depend, depend on assumptions about uh, fuel flow, but in ballpark figures, just to give an indication, and that's why the one cent a litre is just an idea around so many different figures that could be uh, concluded, it could translate to around $100 million a year. What's your motivation here? What's behind it? The Sustainability Council is uh, concerned about a sustainable New Zealand. Um, we focus a good deal on um, environmental aspects of that, but the economic significance of the refinery to the country um, is another component of sustainability. And while it's very clear and everyone accepts that we're going to need to transition to sustainable fuels and away from oil-based fuels, that transition is really critical. Uh, that is needing the oil refinery or oil products at very least, um, you know, at least for the next decade. There's not going to be an overnight conversion. So given the rising geopolitical tension, you want to be very um, clear in a country that... Um, goes cheap on defence and cheap on stocks of oil because we keep most of our reserves offshore, um, it's not a good time to be going cheap on the next line of defence, which is a refinery, which is critical infrastructure for the country. That's all for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us at thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Alexia Russell produced this episode. Our engineer today was Rangi Poak. And thanks to Simon Terry, Nita Blake-Person and Nikki Mando. Kakiti anō. Anno.